Now, all this week, you've been listening to Life, What on Earth Is It? It's a documentary produced and presented by Dr. Ben Makin, and he's been speaking to academic experts to to try and understand the meaning of life, which is a big old thing to be talking about. Well, in part five now, Dr. Ben tries to answer possibly the biggest question of all. Are we alone in the universe? And for this, I'm going to visit the University of Exeter's Streatham campus. I'm going to talk to astrophysicist Dr. Raphael Haywood, who is a leading expert on identifying exoplanets that are potentially Earth-like in nature. So come with me as we now travel to Exeter to continue the programme. Well, I've just arrived on the University of Exeter's Streatham campus, um, about to pop into the physics building towering over the rest of the campus just like the research is inside i guess it reaches for the stars so i started the interview by asking dr Raphael hayward whether she believes that there may be other earth-like planets out there you're asking the big question there i mean for <laughs> me as as an astrophysicist i i mean I, I i did my phd on looking for exoplanets i i was i'm really passionate about i mean i think it's amazing that we can you know uh, learn about these worlds that orbit stars that you might not even be able to see in the night sky. It's the precision of our instruments is just incredible and, and our ingenuity in analyzing the data. And, and yet at the same time, you know, the more I find out about these planets, in particular those ones that you know are in the Goldilocks zone and we're always striving to find ones that are going to be more similar to Earth, you know, the more I look, the more I realize, like, actually, no, we're not going to find something that's like Earth. It, it would be like saying, OK, so we know now today that, well, one in five stars like the sun has uh, a planet that is roughly the same size as Earth and roughly in the Goldilocks zone, basically. And one in five stars. So there's about 300 billion stars in our galaxy that are roughly like the sun. So you're talking about about 60 billion planets that are temperate and Earth-sized, roughly. Um, but does that make a planet Earth-like? You know, does that does that mean it's going to be like Earth? I mean, it's like talking about, um, you know, you look at, I mean, what we're at seven or eight billion people on the planet here. Every human is is unique, though, right? I mean, it's we're all human, but but even twins are all going to have different they they have different character they have different personalities they have different experiences in their lives and and so you know even identical twins are never going to be quite the same and and when we look for these planets that you know we want them to be similar to earth i think it's going to be the same thing we're never going to find quite the same thing because we need something that's really really finely tuned and the reason for that i think that's the crux of the matter actually the reason we need something so finely tuned as our own Earth is because we, so by we I mean humanity, but I mean more generally life on Earth. We evolved with our planet for the last two, almost three billion years. And, and so we made it what it is today. And next, I wanted to ask Dr. Haywood about what I understand to be a really key barrier to ongoing research in locating potentially Earth-like planets. 
And I believe that one of the big problems is actually background noise or interference on the tools used to find them. Yes, that's, I mean, that's one of the things that really gets my, fires my passion for astrophysics because we're looking at things in such detail that, um, yes, the, the currently the main obstacle to find planets that are, you know, temperate, so the same in a one-year orbit around a sun-like star and about one Earth mass, uh, even planets bigger than that, to be honest, uh, but looking for these small rocky planets, the main challenge is actually, it comes from the stars themselves. So, like, when we're when we're looking for, for planets beyond our solar system, we're always actually looking at uh, the impact that the planet has on its host star. So remember I was talking about the Doppler method, you've got the, the, the planet is pulling on the star and from that we can deduce that the planet's there and how massive the planet is. The thing is that when you're looking at these signals, I mean they're so small that you have to take into account the fact that the star is not a constant light bulb. The star is like a big massive ball of gas and plasma and you've got flows coming up and down and then you've got the flows interact with the super strong magnetic fields and you get things like on the sun you've got these sunspots you know those dark areas of super strong magnetic fields and they inhibit the the convection the bubbling up that's happening on the surface of the sun and stars all have that and and all of the this dynamic ever-changing movement um creates uh, it creates changes in the color of the light and so remember how I was saying that you measure the Doppler shift by looking at you know the the star is moving back and forth in your line of sight and it creates blue and red shifts like the the light goes blue red blue red well all the flows on the stars they create little you know it when you've got like a massive thing coming to the front to the well rising up to the surface of the star it looks like something's coming towards you right and then it sinks back and it looks like it's going away and so you've got blue reds and you've got all these micro signals that just completely sometimes completely obscure your like signal coming from the planet going around the star and it's it's incredible that we're even able to say this <laughs> yeah it's I think it's, it's probably going to surprise me to think one thing you, that you said um, in that explanation there, which, which was awesome, so thank you for that. But one thing you were saying was about, you know, we, it almost sounds like, you know, we've got the tools and that's totally fine. You know, we, we're ready to see this unbelievable sort of resolution. Mm-hmm. But actually, what do you do with the data that's coming out of that? And it sounds like that might be one of the key hurdles, such that you're, that you're trying to get through. But for example, this, this noise. I mean, it, is this one of the things that, is this like a really key stepping stone to yeah. to sort of being much better at doing this, basically? Yeah, absolutely. And um, before I moved to Exeter as a lecturer, uh, I was in the States as a postdoc, and I worked uh, with a, as part of a committee of experts uh, who advised NASA on uh, building a roadmap for the next decades for finding uh, rocky terrestrial planets. And... One of the main outcomes of our reports uh, was that we need to address, we need to understand basically the physics of what's going on on the surfaces of stars. We need to be able to model 
the stellar variations, the stellar variability, that intrinsic variability that stars have that is driven by uh, fluid dynamics and magnetic fields, basically, and the interplay between the two. And that's key. And if NASA wants to find, you know, terrestrial temperate planets, it needs to understand the stars that they orbit, NASA and anybody else. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. I think, uh, yeah, for, for sure. I mean, I'm really hoping, actually, anyone listening in will, will, will think, yeah, wow, that's, that's just absolutely remarkable that, that you can do this. <laughs> and, yeah, and to add to that, you know, just to be clear, the solution to that problem is not going to be to build bigger and better telescopes mm. or to go to space to escape, you know, the blurring atmosphere that is around Earth that blurs our, you know, it makes stars twinkle and it pollutes our observations as well. But... But the solution to this is is more brain power, <laughs> is to actually understand, you know, the mysteries of the stellar interiors and surfaces. Dr. Raphael Haywood talking to Dr. Ben Makin in the penultimate part there of Life, What on Earth Is It? And you'll hear the, uh, the final part at the same time tomorrow here on BBC Radio Derby.